0: welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte.
1: Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to 2022, and welcome to our Book of Boba Fett coverage, finally.
0: Yes. Oh, my God. I'm really, really excited to talk about the show today. I can't wait. I'm pumped to like. Go through everything, <laughs> so, <laughs> little bits and everything. But I think for some people, this might be the first time that they're listening to an episode of Sky Talkers. So I think Caitlin and I owe a couple people an introduction. So I'm Charlotte. That's Caitlin. We said hi in the beginning, but on Sky Talkers, we talk about everything from books to movies to themes to interviews, uh, and for the television shows, we do a recap of each episode, and unlike our normal shows, they are not three parts, they are just sort of stream of consciousness, sort of what we want to talk about on that day, we talk about the themes, we talk about our favorite parts, our favorite weirdness, <laughs> so... <laughs> That's what you will get today when we talk about <laughs> these t- two episodes of the Book of Boba Fett. Quite it's a little the pitch. different. Yeah, I know. You <laughs> will get
1: our stream of consciousness and our favorite parts of weirdness.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, because I feel like it's, it, I have to say that it is different than our other episodes, just in is. the fact that it's not three parts. Yeah. And yeah, so our other episodes are organized in a three part situation, and this is not. So <laughs> welcome. And we're really happy that you're here and can't wait to begin.
1: Yes, uh, yeah, like Charlotte said, that's Charlotte. I'm Caitlin. Welcome to Sky Talkers. If this is your first time listening, we are super excited to be covering the book of Boba Fett. Uh, and yeah, happy New Year! And also, we're coming up on our five year anniversary uh, in a couple days, which is crazy. So, if this is your first time listening, we've been doing this for a minute, just a couple of minutes, and we have a whole backlog of lots of TV shows, lots of analysis, lots of those infamous three-part episodes. Uh, If you want to see what a structured episode looks like from us, we've got a lot of options for you from the past five years. But uh, super excited. It's always fun to kick off a new year with Sky Talkers, I think, like on our show, because one, there's usually new Star Wars that's been happening that we're reviewing at the beginning of the year. And then two, it is our birthday at the beginning of the year, which is always fun. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, if you're a long time listener, first time listener, we are super excited to kick off the new year and to kick it off with Book of Boba Fett.
0: This show is even better than I could have imagined. So let's get into it. Okay. So today, In an unusual move, I feel like there's at least one, every time we cover a season of a show, there's at least one time where we combine episodes (laughs) one single time, and usually it's because of like illness or vacation or something. In this regard, it's because Disney decided to release this on December 29th in the middle of the holidays, so we decided to combine them, and I'm really happy that we're doing that, actually, because I think that these two episodes actually work together in I don't know. One is shorter. The other is longer. And I feel like I get a much fuller picture from watching them both and then being able to talk about them both. So I'm really excited. So the first episode we're going to talk about is chapter one, Stranger in a Strange Land. That premiered December 29th, 2021. It was directed by Robert Rodriguez and written by Jon Favreau. Then the next episode we're going to be talking about is chapter two, The Tribes of Tatooine. That aired January 5th, 2022, and it was directed by Steph Green and written by John Favreau. Let's get into it. Caitlin, what are your general feelings two, episode, two episodes in about the book of Boba Fett?
1: I'm super excited, which uh, feels crazy to say uh, Boba Fett was never the character for me. And so our reintroduction to him in The Mandalorian, I feel like was kind of just a rebirth of the character for me as a fan, um, as a fan of Star Wars. And I don't know. It was like he immediately from his appearance in The Mandalorian became a character I wanted to get to know. And I mean, I'd always enjoyed like Boba Fett episodes and stuff from like the Clone Wars. uh, But again, he was, he was just never my character. Um, And so and this is one of the great things about Star Wars. You just – you you take a character and you begin to hone in on them and their story. And suddenly this whole world opens up. And I feel like we have done that with Boba Fett. And I am really excited. I don't think there's anything better than – New Star Wars in December specifically (laughs) and on Disney Plus where I can get up early in the morning before work with my coffee, turn my little Christmas tree on and start a brand new Star Wars adventure. It's such a thrill and it's such like a lovely little tradition um, that I hope I hope it never leaves, (laughs) but I really enjoyed these first two episodes of The Book of Boba Fett. I know that online people had a lot of kind of different opinions about particularly the first episode. I think a lot of people thought it was quite slow, and I saw some reviews refer to it as restrained, which I think was actually a good way to describe the episode, and I kind of liked the slower pace of the first episode, but the second episode maybe one of my all-time favorite episodes of Star Wars. I loved the second episode of The Book of Boba Fett. It got so freaking weird, and I am obsessed. There were so many moments of me at 6.45 in the morning, just like, what is going on? And it was so great, like, leaning forward in my seat, just super excited to see what was happening next.
0: I feel the same way. And here's a hot take. Okay. Hot take is coming. Get ready. I think I like the book of Boba Fett more than The Mandalorian. Ooh, and I feel,
1: oh like- my God, you haven't <laughs> told me this. Oh, I've, been, I've been saving it. <laughs> I,
0: I, I feel like I like the direction of where this is going. And I feel it feels really confident. The show itself feels really confident. It's not yeah. like Mandalorian wasn't. Because I think the first season of The Mandalorian is really confident, but this to me feels like they know exactly what they're doing, and they're doing it in this seven episodes, which already feels like a weird number, but it feels like a confident number in order to tell the story. And the first episode, I agree with you, and I agree with the restrained take, but I don't necessarily see that as a negative. I see that as... I considered that as a prologue. When I finished that first episode, I was like, yeah, I think that was good. Good start. I can't wait to see more. I don't really know where we're going with this. But sometimes that's really exciting. I understand maybe for the general audience that's not going to be the case. But for me, it was. And then that second episode, it was just – it took my breath away in so many ways. I think it was such a beautiful episode. I think it was so well directed. The story, like I said, felt really confident and really – Distinct, And you said that the show is doing something for you, for the character of Boba Fett. And I actually would argue that I feel the same way about Boba Fett. And Boba was never the character for me. I feel Boba is the character for me now. And I know you did too. I feel like this show is actually doing e- even more with the planet of Tatooine. Yeah. And I long time listeners will know. I mean, we don't really, we didn't really want to go back to Tatooine. It was kind of snoozy, but man, they are, they are really filling out the culture, the, just the general feel of the planet in a way that we have never seen before. And I can't get enough. And it's funny. It's just really interesting because so many times On this specific podcast, I have said sometimes I just wish that we would stay in a singular location and study it, feel it, get the feel for what this, where we are, what we're doing, and just really submerge ourselves into the culture and the people and the ways and the politics of a planet. And I think the Clone Wars always did this really well. But after those four episode arcs, we were off to the next place. Yeah. And I don't know if The Book of Boba Fett, we only have two episodes, but I feel pretty good about the fact that the majority of this show really does center on the politics, the cartel, the the, like the huts, the Tuscans, all of these different uh, understandings of the planet of Tatooine that I didn't even know I wanted. And I just, I, I don't know, I just feel like it's done with such care and it's really paying off for me. When I finished that second episode, <laughs> I watched both these episodes in an, on an iPad early in the morning with my Air AirPods in. And I think when you watch something on an i iP- on an iPad <laughs> in the dark, like when you literally just rolled over and woke up, it's a it's a different experience. It's it's <laughs> yeah, it's a little <laughs> trippy. And I think that, that second episode when it was ending and there was the fire dance at the end, I was
1: like, <laughs> like wow. "What am I watching?
0: This is, the best <laughs> <thing ever. laughs> this is so good." And I just I felt like we went out, we were on an amazing journey with that second episode, and I just I'm really thankful for it and. I, I just think the show is really well done. I love the characters. I think Tam is doing an amazing job. Um, like I am so into his acting and his character in the show. And it's he's really surprising me in ways that I wasn't expecting. And I can't, I, I can't wait for Wednesday. When's the next episode? Give it to me.
1: I think, um, just to go back, I guess to kind of tie into what you were just saying, but I think confident is a really good way to describe the tone of Boba the book of Boba Fett because it does have a different tone than the Mandalorian even though like Din and Boba are kind of supposed to be cut from the same cloth there's something so different about the feeling of Boba Fett I guess the presence of Boba Fett on as like a lead character than Din and I don't know Number one, I know that this is because of Tam because he is like I he has that confidence, <laughs> he has that gravitas. I think on screen that I was first introduced to in the Mandalorian with him back as Boba, but just seeing him in these past two episodes has completely blown my mind. <laughs> um, I am like overwhelmed with how much I love. Him, (laughs) which I don't think my 13 year old self could believe that. I think she would be awestruck if she heard me saying that now and yours too. Um, But I think that, I think that Tim really is the centerpiece of this show as he should be, but that he is. Uh, living up to that expectation, exceeding that expectation, I think, in so many ways. Um, And I think, yeah, the discussion of Tatooine is so fascinating because, yeah, if you've listened to our show, we have 100% been the people who have been like, let's let Tatooine rest. (laughs) Let's let her chill for a little bit and come back to her later because we have come to Tatooine a lot. We're presumably going to be on Tatooine again when we get the Kenobi show. And so it feels like so much Tatooine. And when you're speculating about these shows and let me back up. Sorry. Let me start over. Knowing that the last time we saw Tatooine was at the end of The Rise of Skywalker, which for Charlotte and I was not – how we would have ended the rise of Skywalker and in a lot of ways having a negative reaction to the ending of that film taking place on Tatooine for then like the next two projects coming out to be set on Tatooine felt just not good for us uh, personally as fans of Star Wars. But I think you're absolutely right in that while Tatooine is a planet that we know and have, visited quite a bit in different stories throughout Star Wars. There is something much more detailed and rich about the Tatooine that we've gotten even in the past two episodes. Of course, we're going to be talking about the Tuscans throughout this episode, but I think even seeing the cities more, seeing this outpost, learning, like you said, more about the like political machinations, um, especially when it comes to Boba as like I love one when Boba he's like I'm the crime lord (laughs) of this town like him referring to himself as the crime lord understanding how these relationships work and how to maintain them uh is very interesting I think um and just who is really in charge of what is it the mayor is it Boba is it the huts uh do they still have dominion over this area of Tatooine is it over all of Tatooine how far does Boba Fett's reach actually go um, now that he sits on, you know, Jabba the Hutt's throne. Um, I think these are all really fascinating components, especially when we start talking about what Boba Fett's motivations in all of this is, because that is, I think, the nut to crack in this story. And I Don't have any clear ideas on it now, honestly. I have a lot of theories and a lot of speculation, but I don't have a clear understanding of Boba's motivations, nor do I think I necessarily should at this juncture in the story. I just think that is really going to inform how he moves. Around in this planet. And that is what we're kind of seeing in these first two episodes, really in the first episode, because the second episode is mostly flashback, not entirely, but mostly flashback. Uh, but, you know, things like he's not walking around on his litter. He is not outright killing people, you know, um, all these things I don't think we necessarily expected for the character of Boba Fett. Um, kind of went on a train there, but. Yeah, I think that I have warmed up to Tatooine now, ironic because it is a desert planet. And I think that the tone of this show is set by Tem and I just, yeah, the gravitas he brings to the screen, I wasn't prepared for, even having seen him in The Mandalorian as his character. And I'm really obsessed. Same, same. What do you think of the music, Caitlin? Oh my god, it's... It's so good. It's so good. Why is the theme so good? <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it's just the whole – everything. Like, it all flows together so perfectly, but it's distinct. Like, when we're in Mos Espa, um, when we're with the Tuscans, when we're in uh, Jabba's palace, I guess Boba's palace now, like, they all have their distinct – not even motifs, but like sounds. The music is very distinct in these areas and different, but it all flows together so well that you don't notice the transitions between these spaces, I think, in the music, but then suddenly you're listening to something brand new. Isn't it so interesting that yeah. we were
0: so surprised by how different The Mandalorian sounded? I remember hearing those notes when we were at Celebration in 2019 and being like wow that sounds so different so cool it's it's definitely gonna feel like a western and now the sounds of the show are so different from what we consider to be traditional star Wars music, but it works so well. And again, this goes back to me saying that the show is so confident. And even, I think that the Mandalorian leans into the chapters, the storybook, the fairy tale, the Western, all of those different types of genres. But I think that the book of Boba Fett, even by the title leans even further into these sort of mythical concepts of we're telling a story. Here are the major themes. We're giving you everything that you need to know in this like specific frame.
1: Everything is going to be wild and weird. And Sorry to interrupt, but even having the flashbacks working as a framing narrative in a lot of ways. It's yes. the end and beginning of a chapter of he fell back asleep. The dream started again. Chapter yes.
0: two.
1: <laughs> and i that's how I felt
0: actually about episode one was like, oh, this feels like the first chapter in a book. And I was like, oh. It's because it is, you know, <laughs> and it's like, yeah, it's right in the title. Of course, it's the first chapter of a book. So then when you think about reading a, a book with seven chapters, I mean, yeah, that's how it's going to be. And even like this, the second episode that was, you know, this time, this journey with the Tuscans, where uh, Boba learned something from them, the Tuscans learned something from Boba. It's this mutual respect. It's this working together. It's this dance at the end that felt like I could, it was like an illustrated storybook to me. And that that it was just I don't know it was really moving and to me I just I feel it so much and I think the music really reflects that actually in the in the tones and how um, it feels like it's so full of life the theme at the end is oh, a bob oh my god I can't stop listening <laughs> it it's so good and so good. it's so good and when the second episode ended I was like dancing and I was like I'm missing the concept all right I gotta I gotta go back
1: <laughs> so good. It was really good. So, one of the things that I want to talk about happens at the very beginning of the episode, which got me so excited, is Camino. And yes. I, you know, again, like it's so interesting thinking about the production of Star Wars and the fact that the last new thing that came out from Star Wars was The Bad Batch. And spoilers for The Bad Batch, if you have not watched it yet, uh, for the entire season, but the first season ends on Camino with the destruction of Camino of the cloning facility. And then, you know, in the very beginning of the Book of Boba Fett, to see that place again, I just think that's really interesting, um, like that kind of bookend, because those stories, while not obviously directly tied, I guess they could be in the future, but like Boba and Omega come from the same place. And I don't know, I just... I was not honestly, I was not expecting Camino or like Daniel Logan baby Boba Fett, um, the Attack of the Clones <laughs> shot on Geonosis. I was not expecting any of that. And as Hugh, Attack of the Clones is my favorite of the second trilogy. And so I was just super excited to see that represented and to see it again in episode two as well. I don't know. I just think that's super, super cool. And I think that that is not something that Star Wars has done enough in the Disney era is revisiting explicit second trilogy content or even just like recreating these uh, sets and planets and places the way that we saw them in the second trilogy. But in like 2020, 2021, 2022, you know what I mean? Like – I'm so glad to see these places, to see something like Kamino that comes straight out of Attack of the Clones in the book of Boba Fett. I think it's so cool. And the fact that this is something that is kind of haunting Boba. I don't know. I just think it's such a cool concept. And I'm glad that it feels like we're going to be talking about where Boba came from in this show. And I, I just think that is really smart because one thing that we talked about a lot in The Bad Batch is about the humanity and the identity of the clones. And this is actually a conversation Charlotte and I love to have. Um, and Boba is a part of that too. But his relationship to what it is to be human is so different than the other clones. And the relationship that he had with Django as well is so different because the other clones didn't have that in their lives. And so how he kind of reconciles who he is is such an interesting conversation. So of course it has to start with Camino and with Django because that begins Boba's trajectory for the rest of his life when Django is killed.
0: What's cool is that the title is called Stranger in a Strange Land. It's not an unfamiliar phrase. It's appeared in a lot of different places. It's a really good title i was really surprised to see them not go along the lines of the the you know the gunslinger you know the mandalorian that kind of stuff so the, we're totally reinventing that here in the book of boba fett and i appreciate that um but it's interesting because the very fact that boba comes from a watery planet one that is full filled with oceans And now what is his strange land? His strange land is Tatooine, a planet completely covered in sand, a desert planet. It couldn't be more opposite of where he was born, where he was raised, where he watched his father, you know, get into his ship and sail off Um, every sail. Sail is the wrong word, but, you know, go off. Clearly, that's a painful memory for him. So I think that the referring back to his childhood and giving us that reminder that linkage i think you're absolutely right caitlin we don't see enough of that i mean we just came off of an episode where we talked about how much we missed coruscant and how we wish that we saw it in the sequel trilogy and it's the same here for me about camino i think it's one of the coolest designed places and to get it again is is really cool but it also just really is the polar opposite of where boba is now trying to rule and that's really interesting to me
1: yeah, I think that is something I've been thinking a lot about over the past week now in between these episodes. And you brought this up in our original speculation episode about um, the rebirth of Boba Fett and uh, what that means for the character on Tatooine. And I think it's, yeah, this there's there's something that they're doing here. You know, like, I think the questions that I have going into this show are, one, who is Boba Fett? Why is he doing what he's doing? And why on Tatooine, right? Like, why does Boba want to go to Tatooine? I can think of a lot of reasons why Lucasfilm wants to go to Tatooine, but like in the real world sense, but there's also got to be a, a strong story hook there too, right? And so I think I keep wondering why Tatooine for Boba Fett? And there is such this link between Boba coming from a place flooded with water, overrun with water to a place that is devoid of it. There's something There's something there in the story. And I think tying them uh, visually, too, by having these flashbacks to Camino, really sells that. And I think it's something we should be paying attention to when we're watching the show. And also the fact that, you know, the the Dune Sea used to be an actual sea with water, too. I, I don't think I knew that about Tatooine. Maybe I did, and I've just left it in the dark recesses of my brain. <laughs> but um, I think that is also interesting, too, that Boba now comes to a place that has lost water, Um, And when we think of water, you know, we think of water as life-giving. And that's where Boba got his life in an abundance of water. And then he was rebirthed in a place devoid of water, um, a sea of sand, a place that once held water. You know, there's something there. And I feel like we'll be talking about this more as the season goes on. But I think... Yeah, I just I'm kind of obsessed with with the Camino to Tatooine trajectory. Not gonna lie.
0: I think we're here, and I think we should follow it a little bit. Um, for me, when I think about Camino and what we witnessed in the Bad Batch, and just what I'm about to say is the end of the season one Bad Batch spoilers. So if you don't want to hear that, maybe just skip ahead a little bit. But um, the end of the season one of Bad Batch ended with the destruction of Camino. Um, there was it's really it was really somber but for me it really hammered home what camino and the cloning facilities and everything really represented and i i took away that it represented it, both a home but order control science and all of those things kind of go together to me but really more like order and control and uniformity and if Boba felt a connection to that it's interesting because I just don't think that we have ever seen Boba feel any sort of connection to his like brotherhood with the clones like I don't think he considered himself that we've never seen that really be explored. Um, And so I think that if, if we are supposed to be drawing this link through these flashbacks i need to see more of them because i need to understand like if that is part of the motivation for what i believe will be this is my uh theory and maybe i'm just not making myself clear but in our speculation i talked about how i i actually really believe that boba is going to be a sort of messiah figure who um kind of understands tattooing in their ways um, and is going to rule with respect, like he says, but that will come at a cost. And, but I don't, I don't know what that cost is. But I think that his purpose is perhaps to free the slaves, and which was obviously been referenced a lot in the Skywalker films, and it's something that has been left on the table for Tatooine in totality. And just this concept and this, these visuals of the rebirth and uh giving back to the land and there's so much there that i it's hard for me to sort of get out in my brain but i'm trying to find the link i guess between how that sort of sentiment that i think is what we're seeing happen with boba um links back to what we know camino to represent if that makes sense
1: Yeah, I think it does. And I think another question I would wonder is if Boba even knows that Kamino was destroyed. I imagine that at this juncture. yeah. Yeah. I feel like at this juncture he does. And yeah, I just, it's, even though we've seen Boba since Attack of the Clones, obviously in the original trilogy, but also in Clone Wars and The Mandalorian, there's still so much about him that we don't know. And I don't, I don't ever think that Star Wars needs to completely fill in the the gaps for every character that, he, that it has. But I do think that it's worth returning to these timelines and also catching up on or, I guess, filling in the motivations and the feelings that these characters have. And the fact that we are able to look at a character like Boba Fett and talk about his humanity, his intrinsic humanity as a human – as a clone, as a human, as a clone. Um, His relationship to a place like Camino that I'm sure is incredibly complex as his place of birth, but like you said, also a place of order. Um, What exactly was his life like there day to day? It's not where he lost Django, but it is the the only place I guess he has that would have felt like home in a sense of perhaps good memories of his life with Django. I don't know. I just I think these are important things to keep with a character um, as we are jumping around in their timeline. And so I'm really glad that it's not I guess what I guess the thesis of this conversation is that I'm really glad that the book of Boba Fett is acknowledging that past and hasn't dropped that thread because I feel like our motivation, our why for Boba now is incredibly still tied to his childhood trauma on (laughs) Camino. definitely and that's why i think we see
0: all of this time where he has to go into this healing back to tank and the moment he steps into that back to tank he has these dreams he tells fennec i keep having these dreams and the dreams are back which oh my god the moment he said the dreams are back you talk about prequel thinking second trilogy thinking i was like oh my god it's just (laughs) like but it's interesting because the concept of dreams in star wars is so complicated i think the dreams are plaguing him but there's also the flip side. Are they guiding him? And I think Anakin actually wondered the same thing, but I think we'll see maybe a different turn with Boba than obviously we did with Anakin, and Boba's but who knows? Also
1: not a force user. That's exactly. Exactly. So but I still, he, but it's still like, it's still cur- have spirit lizard.
0: <laughs> right. Spirit lizard. You know, I don't know. I feel like that dreams are important, right? Yeah, like no, 100%. Just in general, <laughs> dreams are very important. Yeah. So I, and, and, not only are they dreams but to us the viewer it's him like processing his past and us yeah. going through it and realizing what's important what's sticking out in his mind and in turn i think it's him processing his own trauma i think it's really funny to me that the sarlacc thing was like a minute and a half <laughs> of screen time when we so have bad. been hearing about <laughs> me too. i thought the full episode would be him escaping the sarlacc pit um, and I'm really happy that it was just like lickety-split over. First off, it was really nasty. I think they did a really good job of it, by the way. I was envisioning for the past 20 years, I have been envisioning <laughs> the Sarlacc pit to be – Like a cave. A cave. A, like, yeah. honestly, like the rancor pit. Like, yeah, literally no. the same thing. And when it was really tight and constricting and really disgusting, I, I was like, yeah, you know what? Lucasfilm knows better than
1: <laughs> <me."> <laughs> It, it felt exactly it, it like, that, like that whole scene felt, I don't mean this badly, but it felt kind of low budget, but like 80s, yeah. like what it would have looked like if they had made that scene in Return of the Jedi. And I, I don't mean low budget because Return of the Jedi isn't below budget. I guess I should say it felt like 80s, <laughs> the 1980s. It was, it was very practical. Let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. And, no, it was. Um, And like the tight claustrophobic, like times just in a hallway filled with slimy tentacles and there's one camera at the end the green ooze that's coming Ugh. out of the, the <laughs> I, I mean almost, it was
0: it was nasty but I, it
1: was <laughs> I almost thought the other stormtrooper was perhaps still alive and was gonna like wake up, and that yeah. was really gonna scare me. Like I was prepared for the jump scare, but he gone. He was gone. Don't
0: worry, this isn't Clone Wars or Rebels. That's not gonna happen.
1: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I would not. You know, chapter two took a took a weird turn. So I would yeah. not. This lizard was basically a jump scare. Let's be real. <laughs>
0: Anyway, so I, I appreciate how fast the Sarlacc pit escape was because I think it's just filled with this like Star Wars fan lore mythology about like how he got out of, and I'm, I'm not a legend reader, so I know he escaped in Legends as well. I, I guess this was pretty similar. I don't know. I, don't quote me on that basically, but I, I, I like that it was just straight to the point. That's how he got out and, you know, it also makes sense to me like, of course, a uh, Protocol droid or Jabba would be talking up the Sarlacc pit so much that it was like totally inescapable, the worst fear you could possibly imagine. Maybe it wasn't that bad, you know, like, Boba Fett can get out. So it was super nasty, though. <laughs> it was like so nasty. <laughs> and then right after that, I thought it was really funny that the Jawas showed up like basically immediately and took That's what the. I was gonna say. Okay, good. The and, and took the the armor and. I was thinking during that moment, I was like, oh, it's cool that we have this other piece with Cobb Vanth because now that's when he gets the armor. And then we'll see later how the next piece of Boba's story, when he gets the armors back, what they're going to do with that. Like, are they going to reference the Mandalorian or not? Because now we have all these different like pieces, you know, I think it's interesting to me just as a visual note. And I I just wanted to say this, having seen now chapter two, the Jawas appear in the dark of the night and they're really cloaked in darkness. And then later the Tuscans come and they appear in this bright white light. They're glowing. And I think it really foreshadows how we see the Tuscans later. And I think Lucasfilm has done an amazing job exploring the culture of the Tuscans, especially basically beginning with The Mandalorian. It was something that completely blew me away about Dave Filoni's episode in Chapter 1. We've talked about this before, but I think that what we see in Chapter 2 is like maybe again we've we've said this in this episode already but some of the best character work we've ever seen in star wars and it was just just an amazing story and i think that this like the the fact that the tuscans are just bathed in this white light i think really foreshadows the relationship that boba has with them versus the jawas which is like the, <laughs> these people who who uh take his armor his lifeblood who he is right and that's how we think about his armor so thought that was really good visual direction.
1: I got to say, I love the consistency of the Jawas. Just <laughs> when in doubt, they will be there to scavenge. I? <laughs> and I love that. One thing that I thought was just to kind of t- touch briefly, and this is jumping ahead on the Jawas, is that in the – I might be misremembering this. But in the concept art at the end of Chapter 2 at the tree, they had Jawas behind the tree. Like they were part of the concept art. I didn't um, see that. I I might I might be very wrong on this uh but I'm pretty sure or at least something that like like you know in in the actual episode there like you see eyes like red eyes I have no idea I was dancing at this point I don't Oh no <laughs> <laughs> In the actual episode, in the actual episode, when mama gets to the tree, they're like the red dots that look like eyes. Yeah. I'm pretty sure in the concept art, they were depicted as Jawas. I might be wrong Um, about that, but I I think that's interesting to think about the Jawas being present in concept art at the conceptual stage at the tree, but not in the actual episode, which we know that concept art is literally just concept. It doesn't necessarily mean anything, but... Just interesting to think about. Uh, but yeah, the I think that's a really good point. Um, and I'm glad you had put that note in our notes about uh Boba waking up to the bright light with the Tuskens. And the jaw was leave him for dead. The Tuskens take him as a prisoner, but it is uh, foreshadowing the trajectory of their relationship together, um, the Tuskens and Boba. So Okay, so let's talk about the Cantina and how
0: we got a new jazzy cantina song. (laughs) (laughs) I actually really love the look of the sanctuary. I think it it really refreshed a lot of like my feelings about Tatooine. I think that sometimes something about Tatooine that I should be pretty clear about is that I find it kind of boring. I find all the muddy colors kind of like Flat. Alrighty. Yeah, it's flat. It's the same, I mean, it's it's that for a reason. That's why Luke wanted to leave it, right? And yeah. It's it's part of it. It's baked into what the planet is. It's why Luke and Anakin wanted to leave it, right? But I feel like this was the new pre- present day <laughs> Cantina, <laughs> And I thought that was really cool. I like the new Cantita music. It was awesome to see Max Rebo alive and well <laughs> and just spinning it on the keyboard. It was great. Um I am so um, – I don't know what to think about the Twilight character who runs the the, the sanctuary. I, I really just don't know.
1: What do you think about her, Caitlin? I think there's something – number one, yeah, I also love the sanctuary. There's something about seeing a clean and kind of ritzy Tatooine yes. that just completely changes your perspective of it. Yeah, I think that it's obviously supposed to do that and it's yeah. there for a reason
0: and I appreciate that. But it's really interesting, and I, I don't know. I feel like this. This okay. Let me back up. I keep trying to think about what the genre of the show is, and I keep landing on like gangster mob. But the show is kind of proving otherwise, <laughs> because I think the show is really leaning hard on sort of fairy tale um, aspects, and that doesn't mean they can't merge the two. But when I see this character. Jennifer. What's her name? Jennifer Beals. Beals. Yes. Jennifer is character. I am like, okay, so this is we're back in the mob vibe. There's so many customs. There's so many things to be aware of. These little lines that are said about <laughs> walking in with a litter and uh, acknowledging the mayor and all these different, you know, all these different customs that we have to be very aware of. And have to keep straight in her brain. And for, for me, I'm like, that is definitely, we are going to lean harder into a mob gangster movie. And maybe that's what's happening in the present and the past is more fairy tale, which I think is a really cool dichotomy if they're doing that. Um, and so because of that, I don't know what to think about her. I am like, if we go hard into the gangster movie um, or the mob movie, I am like, who are you connected to? Who are you to run this bar? Like, what's your deal? I don't know. And I want to know all of your connections because you're glitzy ritzy and it's throwing me off, man. (laughs) (laughs) And all this to say, I really just want um, Crimson Dawn to be involved in this project somehow, and anytime I see something that's like glitzy, ritzy, now I really want it to be Crimson Dawn. So I'm like, "What is your connection, and is it with Crimson Dawn? Let me know."
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, also thinking about like a woman in charge. If we think about right, you know, Kiera became in charge of Crimson Dawn, so I wonder if she would be more likely to have woman in her.
0: It's in the comics,
1: yeah, in places in charge, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think the sanctuary is really cool. I think it. it I think that Jennifer Beals' character, she's definitely going to have a larger role. I don't think. I don't think for a TV show you build a set like that, big and kind of detailed, that we've now gone to twice in each episode, and not have it come back around for kind of a bigger reason. I think we will be visiting the sanctuary um, a lot more, actually. And I think that uh, something big will come out. I feel like Jennifer Bills' character almost – like she knows everything, right? I think she kind of gives that air in the first episode. She knows everyone. She knows everything. uh, And she keeps her cards very close to her until she needs to. And I would imagine that she – is playing a bigger game than I think Boba probably realizes.
0: Yeah, I think she is too. And what's interesting is right now we're in this footing where we're on Boba and Fennec's side, right? But I don't, they're just trying to live their life and rule in Jabba's, in formerly Jabba's palace. And I think the game is so much bigger. And that is evidenced in episode two when the twins arrive. And, she knows about the twins arriving before he even does yeah. and so does the mayor it's like everyone knows something but no one told boba but no one told boba so it makes me nervous i'm a little nervous about the Gam- Gamorians to be honest as well upon second you rewatch trust them? no i trust them but i also don't it's weird no. i think okay i went from not trusting them to trusting them and then Thinking back about my original inkling about not trusting them.
1: No, I trust because... them with my life. Okay, all right, that's good. <laughs> I'll join your team
0: too, but I'm just trying to figure out. I mean, Caitlin, come on. You've seen The Godfather. You know how this goes. If we're leaning into mom movies, every person around him that you think you're is trustworthy isn't.
1: So it's like, I don't know. I but only I trust don't... Boba. I don't think it's the Gamorians and Fennec. I think it's. Everyone else who's like, oh, yes, here's tribute. Oh, yes, come in, Lord. Not the good morning. How about Fennec being like, you're going to regret this. This is a bad idea. I, okay, I will say, so I watched this interview, uh, this like interview on YouTube with Tem that came out, I think either the day that the episode, the first episode premiered or the day before. So it wasn't like a spoiler discussion episode or anything. But the interviewer did ask him if, he and Fennec's relationship was going to be tested. And he said, yeah, absolutely. And I think that is really interesting. So I think that they might be, I don't think they'll ever be against each other, but I think they will have pretty serious disagreements. And we see the seeds being laid for that in the first two episodes, like you're mentioning, um, where, you know, Fennec thinks he should come in on a litter and they should kill the mayor's major domo for not bringing tribute and like all these things. And, Boba is like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm walking on my own two feet. We're not gonna kill these people, right? Um, so I think we're seeing the seeds for that be laid. But I do think I think they will always support each other. I feel like I feel like in The Mandalorian, it was kind of easy to see this life debt relationship between the two of them, similar to like Han and Chewie from Solo and like what we heard about Han and Chewie prior to Solo. Um, but now I think in the Book of Boba Fett, the fact that Fennec knows about the dreams that Boba is having, to me, indicates a pretty high level of trust. And so I think that even though the relationship will be tested and they will be at odds with each other in perhaps a really big way, maybe even come to blows with each other, like physically fighting. I do think, assuming there's not a second season of Book of Boba Fett, and I don't know one way or the other, but if there's not, I think we will end the season with them on the same side, if that makes sense. But the Gamorians, 100% loyal. Everyone else, no. Not at all. <laughs> right, no, right, one is, right. no one is no one is really loyal. It's just Caitlin's
0: word. Let's see
1: how this ends. <laughs> no that, that's the thing. It's all a facade. You're yeah. just you're just holding up the facade for as long as you can. And imagine with but, the Gamorreans but, even too. But no, no. The Gamorians don't count. They're in the inner circle, right? Like the inner circle is Boba, Fennec, and the Gamorreans and their funky little droid who is like Their piercing squeals will be a sign to the rest of tattoo. I love that guy. (laughs) (laughs) I love him too. No, they're the inner circle. The inner circle stays strong, except for when the two leaders of the inner circle come to blows. It's everyone else around the inner circle that you're fighting against, that you are uh, placating placating, and uh, hoping that they will choose you in the end. But in reality – you know, it's it's a power vacuum. Um, and I feel like Jennifer Beals is probably amassing her own power. Whether it's just for herself on Tatooine, if she has ties to the crime syndicates, um, to some someone like Crimson Dawn and Kira, whoever's in charge. Um, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? I don't think she's loyal to Boba at all. I don't think the mayor is either. Uh, so, we'll see. All right.
0: So, before we... I'm like really eager to talk about the second episode but we still have to wrap up the first one. And I just want to mention that we had a listener Joey who always has great observations in <laughs> our show and then he brings them to the Discord and he mentioned that he po- he pointed out that the like the flashbacks they start looking like almost night vision goggles and it's almost like he, you're seeing it through a helmet and i think that's a really cool like visual aid into the difference between present day and the past but i also like that it is like <laughs> seeing it through his his helmet which is i think even in the spirit dream that we get in episode 2 when it, it waffles between boba without the armor and then boba with the armor on it's like it's part of him it's also not part of him and i really like that so um for it makes perfect sense to that but I want to know, Caitlin, what did you think of the the huge Harryhausen type creature that emerged from the sand when they were digging for the water?
1: Uh, very startled, and I was like, <laughs> this feels very much like Robert Rodriguez. I was like, like, okay, this is his episode. (laughs) Got it. (laughs) We have a couple of them, I think, coming up. Yeah, He mentioned
0: that, which it was good for him. He's the showrunner, I guess. I don't know. Maybe he's not technically the showrunner. I thought that was the original agreement, but I'm a little confused about that, to be honest. I feel like they all were in development together,
1: like Robert, John, and Dave. Yeah,
0: I agree. And honestly, Tem, too. So I feel like a lot of, like – he has a lot of impact into the character the influence of you know i don't know everything it's really cool um and yeah so that monster emerging i was like whoa and it looks so stop motiony it's so cool i actually really liked it i was like of course tatooine has like so many oppressive monsters
1: they just live (laughs) under the sand like how many how many so
0: many so many (laughs) i mean i was thinking about this because when we watched the Mandalorian season one premiere and the crate Dragon was like so massive, I, and like the ILM just did such a brilliant job making that look so amazing. And I was like, Oh, I wonder if we're going to see another crate Dragon. And the answer is no, but we're going to get like a bunch of other cool creatures too. <laughs> and, and maybe, maybe the answer is not no, but so far we have not gotten the crate Dragon. And I was thinking about like how amazing that, the visuals of that were because just like even doing the sand, I feel like you could tell that ILM just has it down pat. When the train crashed in episode two, I was like, look at all that like sand being kicked up. It looks so good. (laughs) And just the visuals were uh, unreal. And I think that is true about this monster that was just so, reminiscent of those old Harryhausen stop-motion monsters. And actually, if you go to Lucasfilm in the Presidio in San Francisco, the first thing you actually will see when you go in is a Ray Harryhausen statue. Um, It's right in the center of the lobby. So it makes sense that this would be part of it, that it would be, you know, when, when we talk about Boba Fett and we talk about Attack of the Clones, Attack of the Clones, I think, is such a monster movie in a weird way. And I think that's another interesting prequel link uh, that this felt like a really good way to uh, begin the series centered on Boba Fett.
1: Yeah. The creature also in a lot of ways kind of reminded me of the Zillow beast too. Um, And it's thinking about like our, our creators too. Dave loves monster movies, loves Godzilla specifically. So I think we're seeing a lot of, great collaboration between honestly a group of guys that are like monsters cool (laughs) i love that though i think it's fun it's fun well and we get the great moment of boba you know doing almost uh like leia how leia killed jabba with the chain around the neck um so that's a nice uh callback too totally all right was there anything else we wanted to talk about with chapter one I don't know. Let's just move
0: on to Chapter 2. I'm ready if to talk about Chapter back, 2. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: If things come back, I think we have to just talk about these in conjunction, you know? Yeah. But they're just, yeah. like, miniature things that we needed to mention.
1: Yeah. Chapter 2. As we said at the beginning of the show, might be one of my favorite episodes of Star Wars TV ever. <laughs> it's just – it took so many turns that I didn't expect, got weird, got trippy. I just – Charlotte and I, infamously, again, if you're a first-time listener, something you'll hear us say a lot is that for us, Force users, the Force, it's our favorite part of Star Wars. It's what we love the most. And weird Force stuff, we have a whole episode called Weird Force Stuff. Um, It's one of our absolute favorite things in Star Wars. And so sometimes we are guilty of coming into shows like this, uh, like The Mandalorian, which that was whatever um because that ended up having a force user in it but um a show like the mandalorian the bad batch the book book of boba fett even resistance uh that don't have force users and we're kind of like oh sad no force users like where's our weird force stuff gonna come from and book of boba fett was like don't worry (laughs) it's not weird weird force stuff (laughs) but it is a weird lizard And I have not stopped thinking about this lizard. I can't tell you how many times I've tweeted about this lizard. I just, I love this lizard so much and the whole journey with the lizard. It's all just incredible. And other things happened in this episode, but a lot of stuff happened. A lot of things happened in this episode. But my biggest takeaway was the weird lizard and. 10 for 10, would never have seen something like that coming. Oh, my God. I loved it.
0: Well, I think not seeing what was coming was like part of it. Did you like fall off the couch when it just jumped in his nose?
1: Oh, my God. So I watched this episode before Charlotte did. And I was like, oh, my God, when is she going to get to the lizard? To the lizard. I, that was the only thing I was living for. I was like, are you watching it? Tell me when you watch it. When you're gonna watch it, just so you know, it's like 58 minutes long. It's super long. Like when are you went,
0: it was so good. I think that they need to offer you to be able to buy that at Galaxy's Edge, like in the little like little box that
1: I thought was so right? cool. Those like, really, really neat. So cool. Yeah, <laughs> I, I really liked that. I totally thought that Bobo was just gonna have a pet lizard. <laughs> like I mean, my honestly, hands God. my first thought was about Rapunzel and Pascal, and I was like, great. Boba
0: Well, for me, I was like, where's this lizard going to go? Where is this going? Because we don't see it in the future.
1: I know. But I still thought for a period.
0: And then he blew the dust and then the, the lizard went. And I was like, there it goes. And then then I was thinking <laughs> then I was thinking, is it still in there? How long is it in there? Right? It just direct- I, I was like, is this yeah. lizard
1: controlling Boba Fett?
0: Right. So then when it came out later, I was like, oh, okay, that makes a lot more sense okay i like this a lot <laughs> this is so cool but in my in my head i was like is he being controlled like by a lizard, by a lizard. i was thinking about like <laughs> you
1: know, men in black and things like that i was like
0: what am i doing why is my brain going to these places it's so messed up it was but i love the so best much. thing
1: i've ever seen in my life in star wars i'm not even lying <laughs> <laughs> i loved it so much have not stopped thinking about it we start off chapter two with you know a little recap of the last episode uh, but there's also this great quote from boba in the recap where boba says sometimes fate steps in to rescue the wretched and i can't did he say that in chapter one or in this episode <laughs> a really or the trailer he said it in the
0: tr- trailer or like one of the spots Okay. and when they did the previously on i was like Really? Did he say that? I don't remember if he did. It was just another line, but it's obviously when it's in the in the previously on. I was like, okay. I had yeah. to be in the first episode.
1: I don't. I don't remember. I don't know. Really someone, someone tell us. But I, it is. It is. And but I think it's an important line. Hence why they put it in the recap. Obviously, when we start thinking, which I feel like we'll kind of talk about a little bit more in this episode. But thinking about Boba's mo- motivation in all of this, and like why Tatooine, um, and why he wants to take over Jabba's uh, role on Tatooine, and like. The destiny piece of it, I think, is kind of tied into this quote. So I thought it was really interesting that they had it in the recap. Um, I think it might inform how Boba sees himself. Does Boba see himself as the Wretched? And that fate has stepped in. I think he does to a certain extent. Um, Anyway, I think that we should keep this uh, quote in mind moving through the rest of the season.
0: Right. And it also could even apply to Fennec. It could apply to what he thinks about, you know, sparing people's lives. The that, ha- that keeps happening. It, he exchanges like with the pikes later, with um the assassins, with he keeps sparing people's lives, basically, like all the time. <laughs> and I I think that is he the person that is instilling the fate to rescue the wretched and everyone around him is the wretched. Is that could also be a thing. Um But you're so right. I think this is a very important quote. Caitlin, do you think that the mayor sent the assassins after Boba?
1: I don't, actually. Um, I was a little sus when he killed the assassin immediately. He did kind of brush it off. But the fact that he, number one, the mayor is incredible. (laughs) incredible Incred- incredible the, the creatures in the book of boba fett i'm not a creatures person either i know going through this episode it sounds like the only thing charlotte and i like are force stuff because we're like we're not a we weren't a boba person i'm not a creatures person like was not a huge creature let the
0: jig go we have a star wars podcast we like it all if you present that's it in true. a cool way we like it yeah. okay
1: <laughs> if you put it on screen enough times we'll like it right that's, I mean, that's really it. Let's yeah. be honest. Yeah. <laughs> The creatures in this, in Chapter 2 particularly, though, the reveal of the twins, I was shook. Like, shook. I, I really was, like, I was so overwhelmed at this episode at 6.45 in the morning. I can't explain it. Again, nothing like the experience of watching new Star Wars early in the morning, I gotta say. Um, but, yeah, the mayor is incredible. He, The way that he talks, his his tone of voice... It's Robert it's, Rodriguez. Yes. I was going to say that. But the tone of voice. Like, it's, it's Robert. Robert. <laughs> did you know? Fun. I'm going to be like a TikToker. Fun fact. Did you know that the major. What in, if I told you
0: what? that? <laughs> what I, I can't stand it on TikTok. 300,000
1: views. You just looked at the credits, dude. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> what if I told you so funny. His tone of voice, though, is so – I love the sound layering, right, of, like, the authorian's actual voice and then the the voice modulator that he uses. But the voice modulator tone is so almost – it's not a droid voice, right, but it's level like a droid Mm -hmm. voice, which I think is very chilling, very apt for a politician. I think it's very cool. I hope we get to hang out with the mayor a lot more because I think it's a super cool character, again – What are everyone's motivations in Tatooine? What do they want? Everyone keeps saying things like, we serve with the pleasure of you, Lord Fett, but they don't mean that, right? Anyway, I don't think the mayor sent the assassin because, um, or let me rephrase. I think the mayor perhaps knew that the assassins were coming. I don't think he necessarily sent them, if that makes sense. Because he told Bob at the end of it, right, when he was like, consider, love this line too, he was like, consider my tribute, this piece of advice. I was like, dude, so cool. Um, consider my tribute, this piece of advice. Like, what What did we say? He had the quote or we have the quote in our notes. Um, Running a family is more complicated than bounty hunting. And I'm like, what family are we talking about here? Tatooine? Um, Tatooine is a family. It's not how I would describe Tatooine. But we don't, we know nothing about Tatooine. So. It's true, it's true. And he yeah. also sends Boba back to the sanctuary because he tells Boba that that's where he needs to go, actually, which I think is interesting um, and makes me think that the mayor did not uh, send the assassins. But again, I think perhaps the mayor knew that they were coming.
0: Right, and he obviously knew about the twins, too, because everyone knew about the twins. So there's that, too. And, like, I, I don't – this is what I mean about – like the present day stuff taking on the genre of mob and gangster movie in that there's all these like shifty motivations that are actually part of it and (laughs) it's frustrating on a week-to-week basis because you're like I don't know what's going on and everything but I know that this is all going to make sense and it's all going to work together and our minds are going to be absolutely blown by the reveal of what's going on. Um, again, I really want this to be Crimson Dawn, but I know that it's not going to just be Crimson Dawn. And I think a lot of things are going to be working together, even if it's not that. But yeah, I, I, a lot of a lot of things happening and a lot of questions. Like so many more questions than we had in The Mandalorian, I think, about like who is after who or anything like that. I think we had a very clear idea about like, okay, people want – Grogu why do they want Grogu because he's a magic force sensitive baby What's and like we can yeah it, and obviously like there's more to that and we don't know the main motivations i think we thought that it was well, actually we learned in season two about you know his midi midichlorians and things like that whatever but it's still like we were like oh yeah we get the motivations basically based off of that basic fact of you know Grogu is special so, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like there's just so much going on. <laughs> and you're right that the a... re- reveal of the twins was, like, insane. Yeah. And... I was just about
1: to ask what was your
0: response to the twins. Yeah. yeah. So, I was, like, first off, I was, like, these hats look really good. Man, we have come a long way since the special edition Jabba. Holy crap. And I, I was, I really like how they're oriented on the platform and right? almost like a yin and Yang type situation. Yeah. And I, I love the, the girl twin with the, the fan.
1: And so small.
0: It's so teeny. It's, I don't know. It's so funny. And you know, everyone has been like, why doesn't Boba, why isn't, why aren't you being carried? Why aren't you being carried? Like That's everyone so would crazy. be so appreciative of you if you were, if you had your litter, you know, I your did. platform. And and. They- and now we finally see the the platform and i was like
1: dang this is a
0: big big ordeal <laughs>
1: the drums like oh my god and yeah. the all of the people um that are carrying the litter one i love how you can see the the litter itself kind of bowing in the middle um from like the weight of the huts and then you see um pretty regularly like every shot you see like the people that are holding them like you know, squinting, struggling to hold them up, like clearly uncomfortable, right? Because that's not a great job, especially in the Tatooine Desert. So great details. Yeah, I loved the twins. I thought the conversation about the huts was really interesting too. The fact that like Boba is convinced that they wouldn't even come to Tatooine because they're you know, I forget what he said specifically, but there's stuff going on on Hutta that they wouldn't even have ambitions of coming to Tatooine, I think is what he said. But then they do come. And then they talk about uh, getting permission to kill the huts. I'm like, who is giving you permission? Who do you ask for permission? Who does Boba Fett ask for permission to kill a hut? So many interesting things going on here. The underworld is like the crime syndicates and stuff it's such a fascinating world and I love that we are slowly getting a lot of more information about all of these things like through we got we got a good piece of it in like season seven of the Clone Wars um of course in Solo we see it we've seen pieces of these crime syndicates throughout a lot of Star Wars but having a kind of a more long-form story focused on it is really cool I think um Yeah, and it kind of makes me wonder, like, if we're thinking long term, like, what is the end game for this story uh, of Boba Fett on Tatooine as Lord Fett? I think that the end game for Tatooine is something that is important to think about, like, the end game for Boba on Tatooine, because I think that we all kind of expect The Mandalorian and the Book of Boba Fett to kind of exist in the same universe in the sense that, right, like, all of this exists in the same universe. but to have kind of more tightly tied storylines um, more crossovers i guess would be the word i would use considering that you know the reveal for the book of boba fett came at the end of the mandalorian like it's clearly a spin-off. they exist in the same time frame which doesn't happen in star wars except for like the saga films like to have these things the mandalorian and the book of boba fett existing pretty much concurrently is kind of weird honestly like we don't really see that a ton. I feel like we we hop around a lot in our Star Wars timeline. So if there is another crossover, what does it look like? Does, you know, we've got the new season of The Mandalorian. I don't know. I just think in our Discord, we call it the Mandoverse, right? And I think a lot of other people do too. But if it is the Mandoverse, what does the bigger story look like of the Book of Boba Fett and The Mandalorian together? Yeah. As one story, but then how do they also operate individually and stand on their own as individual stories about Boba Fett and about Mandalore, about Din?
0: It's interesting because I think this goes to my like steadfast belief that Boba is like a messiah figure. And I think that I don't necessarily think that Din Jaran is going to be a messiah figure, but I think we are going to get a story of him reclaiming Mandalore and i think there's a clear linkage between boba fett somehow ruling over the sansa tatooine in the way that he is with this political battle for the fact that now he wields the darksaber dinjarin that is and how do those things compare and how are they going to be allies in that way uh I think that we're seeing sort of this uprising of, like, <laughs> the little guy, I guess. I don't know. We'll see. Um, there's, I think there's something there that is so similar. And yeah. I I don't know – I think we're in for a treat to see how it all fits together. But to me, I can see how those two things are related because I think the themes themselves are related.
1: Yeah. No, I agree. And I guess I'm also thinking about will Bilba – Like basically implode the entire political structure of Tatooine with (laughs) with like all of these people that are kind of secretly working against each other while also working with each other. Uh, Yeah. I think you're right though. The themes of these two shows, um, of these like men kind of reclaiming their past and dealing with where they come from and who they are. I think I think that's a theme of all of Star Wars because a lot of Star Wars is coming-of-age stories, of finding your identity, very much the hero's journey. And I think that Boba and Din are on versions of that too. And, you know, we know that Din comes from a traumatic past with his own family. The same is true for Boba. The fact that they both have ties to Mandalore is also very interesting. So I think you're right. I think that... Eventually, they will continue to work in tandem um, in their respective goals and stories, even if they're not together.
0: Yeah, I do think that The Mandalorian is going to make an appearance in this season. I I actually fully believe that just based off of what we know about the shows being linked. Um, But we'll see, obviously. And I don't really know how it's going to work (laughs) because right now the show feels really small scale in this really nice way. So the expansion of it, I'm just not sure. And, you know, the thing is, is that it's so hard to even remember this when we have a weekly show. But the last episode that we just had, episode two, was 52 minutes. And that's almost an hour. That's a ha- like almost basically half of a Star Wars film. So there's a lot that can be done <laughs> in this time period of the show from like point A, which is basically where we're at right now, right, to the end point of the story with episode seven. I don't know where how, where we're going to go, what's going to happen, what tonal changes are going to happen, because it could be that episode two was this like outlier of a small scale story. But I don't know. I don't know. It it felt really comfortable and amazing, but we still have a long way to go until the end of the series.
1: Yeah. I thought it was so funny because chapter one – I was like, oh my god, it was over so soon.
0: And then yeah. chapter
1: 2, I was like, oh my god, it's this is so great. It's 52 minutes. <laughs> when you told me that,
0: I was like, oh my god, I better get going. In my yeah. head I
1: was, like, <laughs> I was like, this is not a 35 you just a 40, 40 minute, minute workday. <laughs> right? Like you got to you got to get up, girlfriend. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how I felt, honestly. He's so funny. Um, let's talk about the Cami and Fixer cameo, which <laughs> It was amazing because this was the perfect example of like a really good deep cut cameo in my opinion because it was this bonus this deleted scene from A New Hope where Cammy and you know Luke's friends call Luke Wormy. It's a great deleted scene, (laughs) and I think it's just really good because it wasn't over the top about who these people were or like pointing out like we're talking about their names. Yeah. We only we know that it's cameo and fixer. And I just thought it was great. I really liked yeah. it. And you astutely pointed out that the people that Boba goes to kill in that Cantina bar are I think the same people that were uh, damaging and ransacking that one moisture farm. That I, yeah. first time I watched it, I was like, "That is the Skywalker moisture farm." But then everyone was like, "No, they just all look the same." And I was like, "Okay, uh, cool." cool, cool, cool. <laughs> yeah. And I had like no emotion over seeing that. Whatever, I didn't really care. But I was when everyone was like, "No, chill, like calm down," I was like, "I wasn't. I'm not even not calm. I just didn't think that." <laughs> and yeah. So I think that there's a good linkage there. Again, this is just like I'm really glad that we're just talking about these two episodes together because things like this really work together really well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I thought that was an interesting tie and like the biker gang of it all. I just think it's a fun, a fun vibe. Right. (laughs) And 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 then then later-
0: Boba, like, assumes the biker gang in order to get retribution over the land that is rightfully the Tuscans. And I, th- I thought that was so cool, too. So we see these people who are, like, ransacking moisture farmers. Boba kills them. And then Boba then teaches the Tuscans how to defend their use own land. Their with, yes, use their machines. Exactly. And it was just really good. I really liked it. God, it's, this story is so good. It's
1: very kind of Robin Hood, too. I think we talked about this mm-hmm. in our speculation episode, too, but it's a little Robin Hoody. Yeah. Yeah. The whole episode with the Tuscans was just such a treat. The fact that yeah. we spent the whole episode, pretty much, with the Tuscans and Boba's time with them, I just – I had – it was – it was so great. I like I it's kind of hard to even talk about like the sense that when you like something so much, like you don't really even know where to start. Like your brain is just kind of going a million miles a minute. But then it's also like all I can say is that it was just so, so good. But you know <laughs> That's how I feel too. Right? Like you talked about this and like, you know, the Mandalorian did a lot to like humanize the Tuscans, right? Like we don't call them Tuscan readers anymore because people just didn't take the time to learn how to communicate with them or even learn who they were. They just Assumed that they were nameless, faceless, bad guys, um, when that is not true. And so to like spend time in a Tuscan camp settlement here with, you know, a multitude of Tuscans with like young, tu- oh my God, the, the like, the young Tuscan who becomes like Boba's friend who just like follows him around. Mm-hmm. I, oh. I loved him so much. Me too. Me too. <laughs> I when he guided them. him
0: to to bring the, the weapon to be ah. made, I was like, yes, I'm so happy it's you. And who they were holding this. his
1: arm, Boba's arm. I was and, and admiring his new clothes. Boba's new just... clothes. It was so pure. I do think it's great that the Tuscans, like clearly, like the Tuskins are warriors. Like they like they live in a harsh environment, yes. right? So they yes. are um, I don't want to say like a harsh people, but like they know how to survive and like have been through a lot. And I and like the fact that they sent this young Tuscan out with the prisoners, like they trust. I don't know, I would put this kid at like in human years, I don't know, like 13, 14, maybe, maybe a little younger. But they're like, Yes, young one, you're in charge of the prisoners of <laughs> these like two of like Bobo, who's like a grown man. <laughs> I don't know. It was like, All right, cool. Like that's intense. <laughs> but The way that they become friends, I just think is so pure. And the kid describing Boba slash himself, themselves, um, like – beating uh the creature from the sand and then i don't know i just i love him and that the the kid is then like also a part of the plan when they go against like when they're um attacking the train the kid like goes to the other dunes and signals the other tuscans um like they're actively a part of what's going on i just think that's it's super cool but all that to say spending time in the tuscan camp i thought was so great and i thought it was good to how in this episode, we see that Boba himself has learned communication with the Tuscans. And to me, that that indicates that he's been there for a while, like ever since they got back from, you know, him killing uh, the creature and saving the kid and, you know, all of that, like, he's slowly becoming an actual part of their community. And I thought, I don't know. I just I love spending time with the Tuskins and seeing their culture and like actually learning about them. If you ever listen to Charlotte and I's Solo recaps, you'll know that the uh, fireside chat that they have in Solo is one of my favorite Star Wars scenes. And fireside chat holds true. And Book of Boba Fett too, because the like fireside chat that the Tuscan leader has with Boba after the the victory with the train, uh, it was just so good where they were telling Boba like their history and like how they felt like they didn't have any agency anymore as like Tuscans in their, in their own land, like in their ancestral land and Boba reminding them that No, like you're warriors and now you have machinery and like we can do this you can do this I don't know I thought I love that conversation and like the music and the campfire and the way that the Tuscans were telling their story like it felt emotional to me and knowing too that like the and I think I think this episode kind of sets up too that there are different um, communities of Tuscans like these are not the only Tuscans on Tatooine, right? And the different communities kind of operate differently. And I think that we it's maybe implied that this community has survived, or the Tuscan says this, that the leader, that they've survived through hiding. I don't necessarily think that's true for other Tuscans, but knowing that the Tuscans, a community of Tuscans suffered huge losses from, like, Anakin in Attack of the Clones, again, like an Attack of the Clones parallel, knowing we're coming up on, like, the, the, what, the 20th anniversary of Attack of the Clones... I, I just bring more Attack of the Clones into Book of Boba right. Fet, please.
0: And it just it feels like it feels like with a show like Boba Fett, if they on the most simple terms, there's so many things about this where it's like how this story is asking, how can I make how can I heal that trauma? How can I yeah. make that better? And the story is working to do that.
1: Yeah. And and I don't know if this community of Tuscans are the ones that or heard of what happened, that like what Anakin did, like if they're connected at all. But I think we're right. The whole point of this ever since The Mandalorian is building empathy, understanding, exploring who the Tuscans actually are. And I think that that is such a huge thing that Star Wars gets to do because of its longevity as a franchise is to explore things that have one reputation throughout the history of the franchise and now we get to look at it from a new a new angle we get to write a different side of the story and that's what we're seeing with the tuscans and it's cool that it's tied to boba fett because that's the same thing the same thing that we're doing with boba fett too is seeing a new side to him of not just this ruthless bounty hunter but a guy who found community with the tuscans that i think really grew to care for them um and felt that he was cared for by them, too. Uh, honestly, it makes me so worried <laughs> for what happens to these Tuscans. <laughs> and me why too. they're not with Boba. Like, maybe Boba chooses to leave. And, like, he feels like it's his time. Or the sp- he, like, journeys with the spirit lizard again. And is told that it's his time to leave Tatooine. Or to, you know, um, get his armor back. You know, take on a new role. And the tus- his his Tuscans, his community of Tuscans are fine, uh, but um, I'm super worried that they are not okay.
0: I really am too. And I think that goes back to not understanding Boba's motivation. And we're spending so much time with the Tuscans yeah. that it just makes me think that that motivation is, I, I don't want to say it's rooted in revenge, but there has to be some personal element that includes the Tuscans. And I don't really know how beyond something bad happens and that's Star Wars' tragedy. So, like, I'm prepared for the worst, but I don't want the worst. I'm kind of worried for the kids
1: specifically. I oh. I kind of hope that – I hope that it's not a – like, that entire community is wiped out because – Yeah, me too. I just, That doesn't sit right with me. Um But I write Star Wars is tragedy, and when we're thinking about Boba's why, tragedy is a form of motivation. And so it does make me concerned about the community as a whole, but then also if something – like, okay, what if Boba feels responsible for whatever happens to the Tuscans? Like, if something does happen with the kid, what if Boba feels responsible and doesn't feel like he can go back home Go back to that community that he felt a part of. Maybe yeah, I don't and, want and maybe Boba the thing is too is like maybe Boba doesn't want to stay in the community forever. Like maybe he cares for them and like they have this good relationship and have like learned from one another. And Boba has, you know, gotten them these machines and like helped them learn how to ride and they've helped him learn how to fight. Um, and Boba wants them to have agency in the June Sea and in other parts of Tatooine, but now it's like, all right, this this chapter with the Tuscans is closed. Now I need to maybe it's something about his ancestral lands, like right. something yes. again, Camino.
0: I know that's the thing. But like what what's up with the connection to Tatooine then? Is it just up for grabs? I don't know. Yeah. I think it that it's 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 hard because yeah. I'm with you. I would be very happy if they subverted the whole look at how great this experience was and now it's going to be ripped away from me type of trope that I, I feel coming on. But at the same time, I just, I don't know, maybe he, maybe he learns an appreciation for the land now that he's there and he just like wants to continue to give back. Don't know. And like, maybe you're he right. that's up a nonprofit. Like, I don't know. It's <laughs> really, it, even saying that, it just sounded so cliche. Like, right. Oh my gosh. I, uh, even, But, like, maybe this, like, dance that happens around the fire at the end that was just so cool um, is a farewell, like, last night type vibe.
1: Oh, yeah. It could be.
0: Yeah. And so, like, in the next episode, I don't know what's going to happen. But, um, yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm worried. But I hope that they take it in a different direction that is surprising. There's still so much we don't know. Yeah. Um, But I think that it, regardless, I do think the Tuscans are going to somehow be a part of – the finality of the book of Boba Fett in like his story and how it works with like the politics of tattooing or else we wouldn't have these flashbacks. Like we just wouldn't, they wouldn't be this long. It it would be a touch and go type situation if, if it didn't have anything to do with the end. If Boba really is like laying claim to tattooing, maybe that also includes you know, helping at the very end, also continuing to help the Tuscans or like the Tuscans helping them. And this like mutuality that we see displayed in this episode continues somehow in a different way.
1: It's just, yeah, it's so kind of, it's the question of where are they now? And I yeah. think, you know, a character like Ahsoka has famously taught us that just because the character is not in a movie that she technically, quote unquote, should be in, doesn't not mean that she's dead, yeah. <laughs> um, and I always remind myself of that. Um, but yeah, I just—it's so interesting to think about. Like if we if we run this out to think about the pieces that we have now, right? For the Tuscans, okay. So they um, have victory at the train. They Boba tells the Pikes that they now have to pay the Tuscans to use this route. Um, that it is theirs. Tells the pikes to go back. Tell this to their people. Okay. So let's assume all of that goes well, right? And people like the pikes are now paying the Tuscans. And Boba says, all right, my time is up. Whether it was through the fire, the night of the fire, if that was his last night. Or, you know, some more time passes. And he, you know, he leaves. He decides it's time for him to go. He leaves. He eventually finds his way back to Tatooine takes over Jabba's throne and while he's trying to kind of settle everything, let the dust settle on him taking over this position with all of his new, I guess like vassals and his new um, like underlings for lack of a better word. Wouldn't it make sense that he would have contacted the Tuscans or perhaps we just don't know that they already know that he's in charge like, do they have to pay him tribute? Is there something about... I don't know. It's just, it's it's interesting to spin out. And it, I... They have such a close bond. And I think it means so much what we see happen at the end of this episode. The fact that we basically go through the entire last, what, like at least 10 to 15 minutes of the episode of no talking and just ritualistic montage. It says so so, It says so much about Boba's feelings about this community that he's in um they clearly want him there and he wants to be there too um i think that was another thing i was kind of thinking a lot about too is like why boba comes back with the kid in chapter one Um, after he defeats the creature he's essentially free so why does he go back because at that point he was still a prisoner right and maybe that's just something i kind of have to like sweep under the rug of like it's a story we wanted yeah. him to, you know, get to know the Tuscans. And so we sent this cute kid with him. And yeah. now and they're buddies. Retired,
0: so like, that's it. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, the,
1: I, I have to go back with the cute kid um, because I want to make sure he gets back okay. Like maybe that's as far as I can take this train of thought. But I did kind of wonder like what the – because at a certain point he's no longer a prisoner, but he's still in – not prisoner garb because it's still – like that was what was underneath his armor, the white jumpsuit. Yeah, like the why Boba decided to stay with the Tuskins, why he didn't leave. Maybe he – I don't know. He just wanted to be with people. Maybe he saw opportunity there and then it grew into an actual – uh trust and mutual respect for him while he was there. I think that is probably a big piece of it. And thinking too about that quote from the prologue of, uh, what is it? Fate has come to rescue the wretched. Sometimes fate steps in to rescue the wretched. Maybe he then thinks of the Tuscans as fate that has rescued him, the wretched. Like I kind of feel like this is Boba's mission statement in a lot of ways, um, which I think we'll see that confirmed or rejected in future episodes. But yeah, thinking about, like, him rescuing Fennec, rescuing the kid, um, standing up for the Tuscans, um, helping them uh, gain agency back with the June Sea and teaching them. And I feel it. But, like, at the end of the day, they rescued him from the desert. I don't know. Kind of <laughs> going on a bit of a rant here, a thought rant. But, yeah, maybe Boba thinks that fate stepped in to rescue the wretched. He was the wretched at that point. And fate was the Tuscans. And so maybe he right. thinks he owes it to them to help them to now. Yeah. yeah. And now he is actually a part of their community and wants to be too. Mm-hmm. I mean, he
0: continuously spares lives. I've said this a couple minutes ago, but with the pikes, okay, first off, freaked out about the pikes. Okay. I was like, are those pikes? They look a little different than they did in <laughs> solo and in animation. I texted Caitlin and I was like, Pikes? That was the you only like, thing you texted me while you were watching. Yeah, <laughs> and, and then I was, then I didn't get a response, and then I was like, oh, okay, maybe not. And then later it was, oh my god, yes, P- Pikes, because they mentioned the mines of Kessel and everything. I was like, okay, great, I, I, I need to stop doubting myself. <laughs> okay, so back to the thought about like Boba as the messiah figure, perhaps freeing the slaves of Tatooine, freeing Tatooine of whatever ills. I don't know. The very fact that they mentioned the mines of Kessel, and he, he clearly says the slave mines of Kessel. And then he lets these these pikes go and says, now go back to your syndicate and pre- present these terms. Your lives are a gesture of our civility. It just feels like, I don't know, I, I, there, all of these things are compounding together to me, that just are like lights are going off in my head, where I'm like, oh my gosh, I think we're really getting like a story here that is gonna completely change Tatooine for forever. And I cannot stop thinking about it. In fact, I texted Caitlin the other day. I was like, do we have any indication in the sequel trilogy that Tatooine is just, I don't know, something has changed or something hasn't changed, or all we know is really the end of Rise, Rise of Skywalker, right? I mean, that's such a small amount of like, I don't know. I don't wanna like jump too far in advance, but like will I feel differently about Tatooine enough to feel not and not to feel fully differently about the ending of The Rise of Skywalker, but will I feel differently about it by the if if Tatooine is quote unquote healed by a figure like Boba Fett, will I feel differently about the lightsabers being buried in The homestead because of Tatooine like kind of changing what it means what it's about like I don't know and all these things just kind of like rush into my head where I'm like man it it is so Lucasfilm to completely like change the narrative about how we view certain things Um, and like sweep us off our feet and be like completely surprised about the directions that they go i haven't felt this way in a couple years about some of the things though so i i i don't know caitlin i'm just like caitlin in that i was so moved by the flashback sequence with the Tuskins, and i'm so with you when we talk about the motivations and the linking and what's going on there but I also like cannot talk about it without getting emotional like I feel like the entire sequence was just like so brilliantly filmed so brilliantly done and me if I'm not an indigenous person I can't like, I, I don't know if I can fully speak on it in the way that maybe perhaps that it moved those people. But for me, I felt like this was just one of the most beautiful sequences in Star Wars and like most beautiful like segments in Star Wars. And it was just done so well to me that I walked away from it when those with the fire dance at the end, just like so moved. Yeah. And okay. So just <laughs> i just want to say that um just as we ag- agree on that that this was just like one of the most beautiful pieces and it's like there's yeah. nothing there there's not that much i can say beyond like damn that was really good that well, was, was so just, good
1: <laughs> there was just so much care i think spent um for this piece of the story again it's this like very long montage that it's just visuals it's just Let us show you how beautiful the Tuscans are. And, like, let's go through the emotion of their story around the campfire. We go through Boba's spirit journey. And then they come back and they dress him. And it's this, like, beautiful montage inside uh, one of their tents with the black cloth and everything. And then the building of the weapon, the creation of it, with the stick that came back from the tree. And then the dance. It was just – it was – they could have made that really quick. Like, that could have just been the end of the episode. Like, he just appears out of the tent in the new robes, you know? It could have just been that. And then it could have been someone just handing him a new – like, the new the uh, weapon, um, the Tuscan weapon. Um, they didn't have to go through the montage of being dressed, of being led to the site where you create your weapon, of actually – him being taught how to carve it, how to craft it, uh, putting it in the um, oven. What's the word? <laughs> where, the, where kiln. The, the kiln. The <laughs> kiln. Like where the metal, the oven. The oven. <laughs> the the oven. oven. And then coming back, doing the the dance choreography. Like this is very involved. Um, and I think that just speaks to how important it is. I think there was something I thought of when you were talking of just like a theory that I had um, while you were talking about like Boba's Uh, goals on Tatooine and maybe a piece like the, the slavery issue. Yes. And also um, like the role of slavery, the institution of slavery on Tatooine abolishing that, but also maybe abolishing the crime syndicates on Mm -hmm. Tatooine too, because the crime syndicates are the ones that were actively killing the Tuscans that we saw in this episode, the Pikes. And I could be misremembering this. So tell me again, bad batch spoilers at the end. Uh, Bad Batch spoilers right now for the end of the season. But didn't the Kaminoans have contacts with the crime syndicates at yes. the end of the Bad Batch that they were hoping to use when their contract with the Empire fell out? Yeah. Okay. There's been this through line
0: throughout all of, like, the sort of, I don't want to say the background Star Wars, but like not the main films yeah. about the huts and the crime syndicates and, like, the pikes even I mean that was in the season seven of the Clone Wars like all of this stuff like it just keeps coming back and even with the huts I mean I've spoken about this before I feel like the huts were supposed to be used in episode nine and then weren't so I feel like they're just like kind of left over to be like okay what happens to the huts after Job of the Hut dies like what's the deal what's happening you know and anyway continue with your theory
1: that that I guess that's a bad theory. Um, it's just like a let's keep this in mind. <laughs> uh, that again, thinking about the stories that have been told recently with Star Wars, we have the Kaminoans came up in The Mandalorian with Grogu, with Dr. Pershing, right? Is that was that his name? Yep. We have them brought up then. Then we have a huge storyline with them in The Bad Batch, also tied to the crime syndicates. We have Boba remembering uh Camino in multiple episodes and then also inter- interactive uh, is now a crime lord himself but attacks another crime syndicate in this episode too for the betterment of the Tuscans a community that he feels a part of has joined just a thread to keep in mind Put it it's in intriguing. your back pocket. It is. It's, it's intriguing also
0: because in Solo, I mean, Dryden Voss was like, I can't believe you're going to, you know, go to Kessel and yeah. do dealings with the Pikes. Like, I can't believe that. That's not something that we do. Crimson Dawn doesn't do that. We don't touch that space. And so now we have someone who actually touched the space, spared their lives, And I mean, that was a while ago, right? Things have changed and maybe I'm misremembering things, but it's interesting to talk about, right? It's interesting to remember what we've seen on screen about these crime syndicates and like just recall what's happening. Um, Even with like, whatever, there's just a lot there, right? (laughs) With things, it's like so many things.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I did want to go back to... um... And sorry, I feel like we're, we're kind of jumping all over the place. But this is oh, what happens when that's we that's like an episode, episode, too, a lot. Yeah, um, I think about our episode from Season 7 of The Clone Wars of, uh, what was it? The Phantom Apprentice. And we just, like, talk so fast for, like, two hours. Oh, my gosh. I was, like... <laughs> It was, like, such a high. <laughs> we had, like, so much coffee, and we were just like, this is the best ever. This is just like so good. We have so much to talk about. This was, like, the last Jedi of animation. <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. Um, but I did want to go back to the ritual of Boba being dressed uh, because, again, I thought it was beautiful. But the, I feel like – correct me if I'm wrong, but the last time we've had, a, like, a, a, rit- a ritual of someone being dressed like this like, was such – care and, like, time spent was with Vader, um, which I think is a really interesting connection because that whole sequence in Revenge of the Sith of the, the surgery, the um, the wiring, the putting on of the helmet, it's so ritualistic and so, um, like, the magnitude of it is really felt obviously with a character like Darth Vader, um, but it represents the birth of a new person of Darth Vader. And, you know, we've been talking about Boba being reborn on Tatooine and is this his rebirth, his new persona for this period of time, him in these these clothes from the Tuscans. I don't I don't know like if I would say these are like the Tuscans like traditional cultural dress, because it's not what they wear. But I wonder if it's like part like it's part of what they wear yeah, too. You know I what I mean? So. Like He's not wearing, so. like, the same – he's in all black, and not all of the Tuscans are in all black. So, anyway. Um, but, yeah, just – I thought that was kind of a cool connection that I feel like the last time we've kind of spent this long with someone um, getting dressed, as it were, it was with Vader. Um, right. Again, I mean, it's, it's cool to th- – an interesting thing to think about is that Boba does not keep this outfit. When he finds his armor again, that's what he puts on. He's not wearing this same outfit. Uh, in the present day, but I don't know. It's okay.
0: We always change outfits, you know. Even we... if one means more more to us than the other. Not in, I, <laughs> I know, not in Star Wars. Not in Star Wars. You're correct. I think it's the Vader comparison is really interesting, actually, because I would say that in the series so far, we have two episodes that Boba is actually continuously being reborn by the fact that he needs the Bacta as much as he does, which we something we haven't talked about that much yet. Yeah, that's is good that? Point every time he is like injured he's like bring me to bacta like i need to be in the bacta (laughs) tank you know and it reminds me of when vader slash anakin opened his or like had the mask lowered onto him except this is like the the opposite or in rogue one when you see him when you see vader in the in the bacta also just like chilling and in this case boba I don't know what's really going on with him. Like, is he dying? We don't know. That's something that is definitely being speculated about, like, in a lot of different fan spaces. But is – if that is the case, is he continuously dying and then the Bacta is, like, restoring his life? And so then he is, like, continuously – I don't know. And does that lay more claim to, like, helping people on Tatooine just based off of, like, his – The fact that he is continuously reborn I mean all I know is that Jon Favreau is like very into symbology like going through the hero's journey and like all these kind of things are of major interest to Jon Favreau and other writers too obviously but as I, it does feel very overt to me, and I don't think that he, Favreau is a very subtle person when it comes to things like this. And we saw that in The Mandalorian too. So I think that when we can, when if we can compare Vader and Boba, it's almost like we have a person in Boba who's like truly continuously be given like many second chances. When Anakin's second chance was like his damnation in the suit and things like that and for boba it's different and i I don't know that's like i haven't really thought about this comparison before we got onto the mic right now so it's kind of half-baked but there's a lot there i think and as like these main characters or like villains that we are like unspooling and i i wouldn't I don't know. I Boba was a bad guy, right? Like I think that we can we can all agree about that that he was hired by Darth Vader, that when we first saw him presented, he's this like suave cool bad guy. But what we see in this show when when he's a protagonist and he's like I want I want to rule with respect and things like that and Fennec's like well fear works so much better. So what the heck? Yeah. You know. <laughs> and, and which I I think is great. Um but anyway, I think that we see a different character than, like, what we saw when, like, we peeled back the onion on Vader for – to see yeah. Anakin in the Pearls. Like, it's a totally different type of, like, rebirth, regeneration. And it's really interesting because we're not, like, seeing the youth. We're seeing, like, the, the ability to remake yourself past, like, dying in the Sarlacc pit, which is yeah. really, like, when you think about it, it's, like, it's not necessarily – is it I guess you could you could call this a sort of redemption story if you really wanted to about like what happens after you spend a life in crime what can you do after that and like maybe that's maybe that's Caitlin maybe that's his motivation and that's what we're going to be uncovering but I don't think that he's like haunted by his own sins you know (laughs) I don't don't really see that Yeah.
1: yeah I don't really
0: see that yet but I do I do think that there's this like There's just this sense of renewal that can be chalked up to, like, all these other words that we associate with, like, renewal and rebirth that can definitely be compared to other characters that are afforded, like, redemption arcs or redemption stories. It's similar, but it's different. And I appreciate the fact that it's different.
1: Yeah, and also thinking about that line as being perhaps Boba's new mantra now of fate steps in to rescue the wretched, if that is kind of pulling him along or in some ways dictating how he operates as a crime lord i think it's interesting it's definitely something that we'll be following through through the rest of the season i will say also someone in our discord referred to the flashbacks as flashback to and i it's so perfect really like flashback <laughs> to I really like that. Um, some Someone else in our Discord, I feel like we've been talking about our Discord a lot, and I should have written down these names, but I was writing these notes in a bit of a stream of consciousness too. Um, th- t- thinking about the flashback as we move forward in the rest of the season, um, how often will the show continue to have them? And someone in our Discord suggested that perhaps it would be like a bell curve of the flashback to present day ratio as we move through the season, like eventually – In the middle of the episode, we'll just get an episode that's entirely flashback – or middle of the season, we'll just get an episode that is entirely flashback. And then as we begin to go to the back half of the season, we'll get more present day, less flashback.
0: That would make sense to me.
1: Yeah. And I think that would be a really cool um, setup, Uh, something we haven't really seen in Star Wars.
0: It's funny. When I was rewatching these two episodes before we recorded this, I was – in the first episode when we went to the second flashback, I was settling into what was happening when they fully took the the um, the assassin guy and then it went straight into the flashback. I think that's why for some people it was like a little jarring or a little confusing about the tone or the story itself um, for that first episode. And I, I, I kind of agree with that. Like I feel like when we went into that second flashback, which it eventually ended with – um, I was ready to stay in present day. But as, in the second episode, I definitely don't want to go back to second day. Like, I really, pre- or present day, I feel like we are in a really good space here. So, if we talk about that bell, cru- bell curve, I can totally see how that would make yeah. sense because I'm like fully settled into this flashback scenario right now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I am too. We haven't talked about this yet, but uh, the book of Boba Fett is like a lot funnier than I expected. It's so, it funny. It is <laughs> it's, so funny. It's so funny. It's so funny the mayor's major domo i love him the vibe the vibe and like at the city hall with the front the guy at the front desk when boba was like i have yours i have this little pet i'm bringing it back to the mayor and the guy was like i don't see you on the appointment list who was like such an average joe too he was, was so funny. He, he, i loved it it was so funny i laughed so much um my other mandalorian favorite. is not this funny no, it was not. It was not. Grogu <laughs> was this, like, cute and funny, but just not this funny. And, like, Fennec, we really haven't talked a lot about Fennec. And if there's one critique I would give of these not enough chapters, Fennec. not enough Fennec. And... I totally agree. I feel like she's getting her episode, though. Like, I, I hope think it's so. I, I really hope so because, because – We're not
0: – in terms of flashbacks, like, we're not up to the point where Boba rescues Fennec. We have never no. seen that. So that's going to happen. And I feel like yeah. that is going to be – when we get more Fennec, but yeah, I totally agree with you. That's my literal one critique is yeah. I want more Mengna, and yeah, so give me give me more Fennec, please.
1: Yeah, yeah, she her like delivery of some of these lines too is just so great. Of do you want me to kill him? I'll kill him. <laughs> <laughs> like just give me the word, and when when that assassin is down in the rain carpet, and she she just goes, it's empty. <laughs> <laughs> it was so- it was so. Her delivery I mean, so is perfect. is like so. It's like deadpan, but also uh, laughing at you too. Um, the ranker pit was so good
0: because was I was really so expecting Moochie. I was like, I was ready to see Moochie from The Bad Batch. I was like, they replaced it. Bib Fortuna replaced him, but so, no.
1: It was just empty. It was so funny. It was so um, good. Boba's driving school was great too. Uh, I and. Like a <laughs> so and then also I think honestly I think my favorite was this spice with the pike when the pike leader was like what does spice look like <laughs> <laughs> and then they opened the chest he goes like that <laughs> I just thought it was so, I don't know I thought it was so funny um but yeah the book of a buffet these are just like a couple moments but I do actually I do think the the major domo kind of takes the uh the cake for me. I just, his, his tone, his vibe was so on point. Um, And the whole discussion about the tribute and uh, Boba's kind of aside to Fennec of I'm the crime Lord. He's supposed to pay me. It was just, again, delivery was so good. Um, I think you could really see a lot of the chemistry between Tem and Ming-Na in those scenes of them, like accepting tribute from, the people visiting, I know that's chapter one, but from the people visiting them, uh, at I guess Boba's Palace now. But yeah, I just it's a lot funnier than I thought it was gonna be. Um, and yeah, that was just such like, a lovely surprise to have a lot of like LOL moments in this show. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm
0: surprised too. The the, the major, major domo to me, his tone is, is very much like, well, I don't know, like, we'll see. <laughs> I don't know if you want to do that, but maybe. I don't know. Doesn't seem <laughs> oh. right.
1: <Good. laughs> oh, thank you for my life. You're not gonna give yeah. tribute though? Okay, well, expect another visit and we'll be in touch. <laughs> you might not survive this, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll, we'll just see. see. <laughs> when he like shows up at the city hall desk when he's like, just come with me and then, yeah, the other city hall <laughs> worker is like, I, I don't I don't get paid enough for this.
0: Okay, just to sort of round out this discussion, Caitlin, I just like, I wanna say that my, I was really pumped for this series. I feel like in our like speculation for it, whenever I would talk about it, I'd get really excited, but it's not, it was never like my number one thing that I was excited about in the the slate of new Lucasfilm things. I am definitely like number one for me is Obi-Wan Kenobi. But for me, I feel like the expectation for this is like, it's really, I don't know, it's exceeding all of my own expectations. And I really think this show is so, like I'm gonna echo what I said in the beginning, confident, knows what it is, knows what it's doing. And I really respect it. And it makes me really like it so much more. I, I, I feel like this new spin on Boba Fett is like exactly what they should be doing. I think the the visuals of the show are so on point and it's it's really reversing my thoughts and like my, my my long-held beliefs of certain things that I've like known for so long, like Boba Fett and Tatooine. It's just like really shocking me and I'm so delighted by it and I just can't wait for Wednesdays now. It's yeah. just so good. And both these episodes together were just amazing.
1: Yeah. I really think that it's, it's chapter two that did it for me. Chapter one is good, right? Like I yeah. enjoyed chapter one. Uh, but it was slow. It was restrained. Again, there's nothing wrong with being restrained in your first episode, especially right, with episode. Uh, yeah, and especially with a character as uh, steeped in fan history as Boba Fett, right? Um, even though he's already had an introduction uh, in the Mandalorian, like a, a reintroduction in the Mandalorian with like the live action with Ten playing him, like it kind of makes sense that you kind of ease into this character as the main character. But okay. I think. Chapter 2 just completely scented over the edge of like, oh, I'm all in. And I we haven't discussed that this was directed by a woman, Steph Green. I know. So and good. So exciting. That, w- that took me by surprise when I saw the credits. And I was like, right. makes perfect sense. And all the best episodes of The Men Learn were directed by women. I just – It's, it's I'm so just, crazy. I'm just saying. And we have Deborah Chow who's directing Kenobi – I feel, I feel good. <laughs> I feel really good about that. No, I just no. feel
0: really good about it. And Steph Green has directed a lot of shows. But for me, what really stood out was her credit for The Americans, which is one of my favorite shows. Yeah, And The Americans actually deals with a lot of shifting timelines. Like You're in the present and you're in the past a mm-hmm. lot. And it made a lot of sense to me because The Americans really balances those two timelines really well. And I felt like episode two was like perfectly balanced in terms of sucking me into the past. And the Americans did that very well as as well. Um, so that made so much sense to me when I read that. I was like, man, the pacing is exactly the same.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think this episode just completely blew me out of the water. And we talk about representation on Talkers and it's important, right? Both the people in front of the camera and behind the camera, and I think it's great that one we have two people of color that are headlining this show, and not only that, but they're also older actors too. They're and there's Mingna is in her fifties, and Tim is in his sixties, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, they're both over fifty at least. Oh my god, oh. like I. I will not be able to do that, do some of that stuff when I'm um, in my 50s or 60s probably. But um, having two people of color who are over the age of 50, having a woman who is over the age of 50 in like a leading role like this that is not a mom, honestly. A mom or a grandmother right? role, it's so like, rare.
0: It's, so you hear about these people in, in Hollywood talk about this. Yeah, people in t- Hollywood talk about like when you're 45 and a woman – and even like just white women, like where I'm – it's it's Im- virtually impossible to get a role that's not a mother or a grandmother. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's so cool that we have someone like Ming-Na who is just the coolest person ever. And guys, if you're not following Ming-Na Wen on – On Instagram. You should follow her. She is so excited about Fennec going to Disney World, walking down Hollywood Boulevard with like a selfie stick. Like, it's so great.
1: She's just like video. She's making like a tiny vlog about their billboard. (laughs) And it's like just her. It's so so great. (laughs) It's so great. Um, But yeah, you know, it's just, I feel like um, The Mandalorian, especially with its directors. Uh, move the needle in in the conversation of representation um, of having women directing Star Wars, of having people of color, women of color direct Star Wars, um, and you know I think that having someone like Robert Rodriguez very involved in the creation of Boba Fett, having a woman direct this episode again, having uh, Tem and Ming Na be the leads, this is it's moving the needle, right? Like the needle needs to continue to move like there is always room for more representation and we want that especially like in the writers room too but the needle is being moved and it makes i'm really happy about that and i hope that we continue to see even greater leaps and bounds in representation again in front of and behind the camera because those are equally important creative spaces and it's not enough to just have it in one space and not the other mm-hmm. absolutely so, but yeah, I was like, we wait a second. We haven't discussed that the director of this episode was Steph Green, and it was an amazing episode.
0: Yeah, it's really, really surprising that we didn't say it at the at the beginning because I was so excited about this. I, I, Caitlin was too. And it's when her name came up in the credits, I was like, oh my god, this is awesome! So excited. Makes so much sense. <laughs> it's always like, yep, makes sense. Whenever yeah. something's like edited by a woman or directed by a woman, you're like, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I what What is funny is just it's like a little funny aside is that, of course, Steph Green sounds like Seth Green, who <laughs> created Robot Chicken, is a huge Star Wars fan, has been in Star Wars too, of course, famously with Detours. Star and
0: famously Wars. as Cad Bane's sidekick.
1: Well, that's what I meant in Clone Wars. Um, oh okay. yeah. 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 The I can't remember the name of the droid, but honestly one of my favorite sidekick droids was played by Seth Green. Um and I I just think that's just a funny uh an LOL <laughs> moment. It feels like an inside joke a little bit like Steph Green sounds like Seth Green, but like very different episode. <laughs> very different roles in Star Wars. Like Seth Green is, you know, all comedy a lot of the time. And then yeah, anyway, I just thought it was funny. Yeah. <laughs> There's really nothing deep or like cool to say, (laughs) except that I've talked about it too long. Steph Green sounds like Seth Green, who also made Star Wars.
0: (laughs) Completely separate. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Is there anything else that we want to talk about when it comes to these two episodes of The Book of Boba Fett?
1: Um, The only other thing I do want to say is um, the other thing I would change about these episodes is all the Banthas would live. Oh, absolutely. Oh, and, my gosh. Absolutely. Right. I just, they were so cute, gone too soon. I it really hurt, honestly. I was like, yeah, oh, really oh surprise. Another one. It really did. It really hurt. It did. Um, but no, there is nothing else uh, at the present moment uh, that I have to say about chapters one and two of the book of Boba Fett. Um, really loving the show so far, especially episode two, chapter two. And I know we're both looking forward to Chapter 3. We'll probably have an episode up for Chapter 3, kind of closer to the actual release of Chapter 3. Yeah. Again, the 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 weird release date of December 29th of Chapter <laughs> 1, I just – I don't understand it. I'd love to have a conversation with marketing. I know other people were like, oh, what was it? Hawkeye had to finish. But yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of like Star Wars. I don't, don't care. First. <laughs> i like marvel i watch i Haw do Kai. too um, <laughs> but i'm i'm you know Star Wars is my number one in my heart um in my yeah. fandom heart but yeah anyway so uh we do plan on the with the book of boba fett to do week-to-week recaps um yeah but we'll let you know if something happens hopefully nothing does but that is our plan so expect a more uh current recap of chapter three next week um but yeah, we do also have, again, if it's your first time listening, welcome. We hope you made it all this way to the end. Uh, it is Sky Talkers' five year anniversary coming up. January 11th is our birthday. So we will have, or maybe it's already up, I'm not sure, um, our anniversary episode, uh, which we do a QA, we do our updated Sky Talkers dinner party questions. So, all good things, kind of our tradition. Um, and we're really excited. I- We'll talk about it more in our anniversary episode but five years is just insane to me um but yeah we hope you guys enjoyed listening thank you so much um please let us know how you're feeling about the book of book of boba fett and i think um an important question i would have for you as listeners is if boba did keep the, the lizard and it became like a friend what would boba name his lizard? So you can let us know if you want online. Uh, You can find us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Charlotte's is at Clarity. Mine is at Caitlin Plusher. We also have our website, Skytalkers.com, Instagram, Facebook, um, and a TikTok account if you want to follow us over there. Um, And if you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes or on Spotify, because Spotify does reviews for podcasts now, we would really appreciate it if you took a second to go and leave us a review. You know, it impacts the algorithm somehow, mysteriously, but it helps other people find our show. And if you're interested in other ways to support us, you can head on over to our uh, Patreon and check out our reward tiers there. Um, Patreon is how you get involved in our Discord community, which we've name dropped a number of times this episode. So if you're looking to get in on the conversation about the Mandalorian or anything else related to Star Wars, the Skytalkers Discord is the place to do that.
0: And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Chris, Stephanie, Fio Pio, Jeff, Kate, King, Maggie, Molly, Rebuild, Joey, Alex, Bailey, Brandon, and Daniel. Thank you so much for supporting us. Your support means the world.
1: Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you.